the gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. What I love about the beginning here of the Gospel of Mark, there's nothing before this. These are the first lines. Is this sense of the beginning isn't really the beginning. It's a story about forerunner, forerunners, actually, in the plural. The people who came before Jesus, the, the work of God that was happening before, the way God was moving in the world before Jesus. Now, forerunners, those are the ones who come before the first ones. And they can be so instructive to us in learning about their lives, uh, imagining what that life was like, for what it means for us here and now to be watching and waiting and working. I mean, here we have John the Baptist named. There's the chief forerunner. But when Mark talks about the crazy things that he was wearing, that wasn't so crazy for the people who heard it. They knew this was Elijah, the return of Elijah. There's another forerunner, and the one who would inaugurate this, this new time, this new age, when the Christ would come. And also, it was written in the prophet Isaiah. Here we have a third forerunner, in a sense. Jesus is not the first. John is not the first. There is Elijah and Isaiah before him. Just as there are many people before you, before me, that have led us up to this point, who have given us work to do, who have left work unfinished that we get to participate in. A lot of times we don't know the names of forerunners. Just imagine all the other people, the, the, the congregation that, that raised John the Baptist up, the parents of the prophet Isaiah, People whose names we will never know, but we can imagine. Here's a name you probably know, Rosa Parks. African-American woman in 1955 refused to sit at the back of the bus, the segregated bus where Negroes were allowed to sit while all of the white people sat up front. She refused 
It was the beginning of the civil rights movement. It was sparking the Montgomery bus boycott when Martin Luther King Jr. came to national prominence. The NAACP fought its legal battles. But Rosa Parks was not the first to refuse to sit at the back of the bus. There were others. Let me tell you about one. Private Sarah K. Evans, another black woman who refused to be pushed to the back of the bus. I want to still imagine a little bit what it was like to be her, to be in her shoes, being a forerunner, not even knowing that this whole movement was going to come after her. Well, first of all, maybe many of us can imagine what her life was like. She was coming home from her first military assignment. She was a private. So maybe you can imagine, maybe you remember coming home from your first military assignment. What were the mix of emotions for you then? What do you imagine was going through her as she prepared to to make that trip to see her friends and family again? Now imagine you get on the bus, and she probably knew this was coming, but the invitation to get to the back of the bus. You know, knowing everything that she had, she had sacrificed in those weeks at her first assignment, knowing how she was dedicating herself, her life, some of her time and effort, her blood and sweat and tears to this nation and yet being shoved to the back, second-class citizen. Well, imagine that. And then imagine refusing Refusing and not knowing the whole, that a whole chain of events was going to be set off. Rosa Parks, that was a sort of a planned moment. The NAACP had, had prepared a defense. There were, you know, next steps all lined up, dominoes set, so that when she went on the bus and when she refused, this whole chain reaction would take place so that the NAACP and, you know, SNCC and all of the other organizations that were behind her would step into formation and amplify this moment so that it could have a fullest impact. Private Sarah K. Evans didn't have that. But what did she have, I wonder? What prepared her, what gave her the courage to do what she did, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. Can you imagine that word coming out of your mouth in that situation? No. Can you imagine what it was like to receive the stares of the other people on the bus, to, to be accosted by the bus driver, to, to be arrested, to be carted away? Imagine all of those just tedious days in court after that. She actually won that court case, and it was made so that that segregation was no longer legal, but she had to wait years, years, six years after that victory until it was enforced. Imagine that time waiting. What do you imagine she was up to then? What do you think kept her going, gave her a sense of hope and possibility? 
Now think about John the Baptist. What does John the Baptist have that gave him that courage, that boldness to, to go out there and start baptizing? You know, I'm not sure that John the Baptist went out in the wilderness with a, with a long list of people, a, a waiting list of people who were waiting to be baptized. I mean, the gospel tells us that it was people of Jerusalem and all of Judea, you know, all, the whole. There's this sense of like, everyone, right? I'm sure it didn't start that way. You know, John had these words of the prophet Isaiah and a sense of what? Hope? Expectation? Who, who encouraged him? Who, who taught him these words from the prophet Isaiah? Where did that where did that spark of inspiration or creativity come? To take, you know, the, the, the Jewish rites and rituals that involved water and washing and sort of really change them and transform them and start dunking people in the Jordan River? What was that like? I mean, who were his people helping him? I mean, I imagine, I mean, we have this way of maybe idealizing someone like, John the Baptist, idealizing, you know, other people that seem to have done such great things. But when you boil it down and when you really get into it, I mean, so much unknown. So many things that were, oh, for one, how cold do you think John the Baptist was? I mean, how pruny do you think his fingers were? I mean, if this really exploded in the way that, that the gospel shows us, like how tiring to, to baptize person after person. Just imagine the repetition and the, and the tedium, I'm sure. The, the fatigue in his arms, his legs, his body, to the, the hunger. This was no walk in the park. There was no 7-Eleven across the street from where he was baptizing. No hy-vee around the corner. This was hard work. Something. What was it that motivated him to do what he did? I think a lot of times studying the life of the saints or even just imagining it, kind of prayerfully imagining, there's so much power in that. To find a way to put ourselves in their shoes. Even to study a little bit. To Google private K, Sarah K. Evans. Learn more about what that time was like. What her life was like. What was it like to be in the wilderness in first century Palestine? These are things that can really inspire us in our life. And that kind of imagination just kind of grows and develops and transforms in us into a sense of gratitude in what these people did that have made our life and the world a better place. What we have received through them. What God is giving us now through their example. And in that gratitude awakens a willingness a willingness to do the work that God has set before us, awakens 
a sense of, a gu- of guidance, shows us the way. What is it now, God, that you have called us to do as we also watch and wait, not knowing when, not knowing what, not knowing how? What's the work that you've given us to do? I mean, one of the little details in this story about John the Baptist, Baptist that just kind of makes me stop and think is this very last line, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the fact that, I mean, that could be a paralyzing thing for me. I could imagine thinking, well, I don't have any Holy Spirit to baptize them with. I'm not the one who's got this Holy Spirit to baptize people with. So what's, what's the point? Why not just wait for this one to come with Holy Spirit? But that wasn't John's kind of feeling at all. John just knowing, trusting that someone stronger, someone greater, someone with more to offer was coming. But he just took hold of what he did have to offer He took this ordinary thing, water, gave it, did it, baptized there. Yeah, I do baptize with water. More is coming. So that we could all be ready somehow to receive this Holy Spirit that Jesus was coming to bring. I mean, he he knew the stories of his faith. How important the Jordan River had been, that final crossing of God's people, those formerly enslaved people who had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, crossed over, finally, across the Jordan, just like they crossed the Red Sea, the waters dividing so they could cross on dry land and come to the place that God had promised for them. He knew what that meant. He understood that symbol. He knew that story. Knowing these stories for us can help us in our watching and waiting and working now, to find the places and to recognize the gift of the things that we do have, even as we're waiting for the things, the people who are greater to come. And finally, just take this, these three words, watch and wait and work. I think we see this in John the Baptist, we see this in private Sarah K. Evans. All these three things These verbs, these actions have got to go together. Can you imagine? Imagine this. Imagine watching without waiting. Waiting without working. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? Take watching without waiting. To me, that's watching without patience, without a sense of hope. Just the anxiety of that. Can you imagine someone like nervously pulling back the curtains and suspiciously eyeing the street in front of their house then closing it quick when they see movement? That's not the kind of waiting that we're invited to do. We're not invited to anxiety without urgency. Patience, purpose is what we're invited to. But without those things, there's only paralysis, watching like an audience member, not getting involved. Really, when it comes down to it, apathy that shows that we have no real values and no real faith because we're not risking 
anything. We're called to something more, friends. Look at John the Baptist. Look at Private Sarah K. Evans. What they risked. What they worked for. What watching and waiting meant for them. Well, then think about this, about waiting without working. The same. What about the other way? What about working without waiting, without watching? To me, that's a kind of compulsiveness, right? This belief that would permeate what we do, that it all depends on me, and this sense of doing whatever I think is the right thing to do and forgetting about all those forerunners, not paying attention to any of those stories of how God showed up before and the people God had called in previous times and places to do the work. There's this sense of being driven with no rest, with no hope, with this sense of despair just gnawing at my stomach working without waiting, without watching for the other, for the stronger one who is coming to baptize with Holy Spirit. That's not what we're called to either. John said, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a gift. What is the water that you can use to be blessing other people right now? that is maybe just a small sign, a symbolic thing of the much greater love and the greater blessing that will come when Jesus meets them in a more immediate way, in a way that I can't make happen, you can't make happen, but we watch for it, we wait for it, we trust that it's going to happen, we work for that moment that it will come to others as it has come to us. And, and if we're still watching and waiting for it to come to ourselves, there is no use just sitting around on the couch watching Netflix until it happens. There are ways that we can be involved. Even in just what I've described, in learning about the saints who have come before us, the forerunners, imagining what their day-to-day life must have been like, imagining what those acts must have called for from them, learning the stories, reading the Bible, about how God has been active before. These are really powerful ways and work that we can do. That's about watching, waiting. Because Christ will come. As certainly as we meet Christ every time we gather for worship, whether we're in person or over the computer and TV, just as Christ comes to us Dependably, every Christmas in remembering that story of Jesus born into the world, just as reliably we can open our hands and receive the bread and eat it and drink the wine and feel it filling us, burning as it goes down. As certainly as Christ comes in those ways, Christ will come again. Yes, at the end and fulfillment of all things, but also here and now. So watch and wait and work. One more powerful than you is coming. Thanks be to God.